You're listening to Comedy Central. January 22nd, 2020. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Trevor Noah, our guest tonight is a journalist and an author here with a new book about the Cold War between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Kim Ghattas is joining us, everybody. <laughs> also, on tonight's show, senators are sleeping through impeachment. Arizona has invented time travel. And step aside, Ebola, there's a new virus in town. <laughs> so let's catch up on today's headlines. <laughs> let's kick it off with some health news. If you're a fan of the first 10 minutes of those movies where everyone in the world dies, well, then you're gonna love this next clip. Federal health officials on high alert as a new virus emerges out of China. Over the weekend, the number of people infected more than tripled. The deadly coronavirus makes its way to the United States. A man in his 30s diagnosed five days after returning home to Seattle from Wuhan, China. Tonight, all passengers arriving from Wuhan will be funneled through five major U.S. airports where heightened health screenings will be in place. Wash your hands or use a hand sanitizer, especially before touching your face, since that's how the virus gets into the body. Wash your hands. (laughs) No, here's the thing. Scientists always warn us about some new weird death virus, and we were like, what's the plan? They're like, uh, wash your hands. (laughs) That's not a plan. There's an outbreak, and all you're saying is wash your... I've never seen a zombie movie where they're like, ah, they're coming, they're coming! (laughs) Ah, they're coming! Okay, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. No, but for real, though, you should wash your hands because even though the coronavirus sounds like a hangover you get off the Cinco de Mayo, (laughs) it's actually a serious respiratory illness that spreads quickly and can be fatal. But just by the way, why does the news always put up a picture of the disease? Why do they do that? (laughs) Like it's a biological mugshot. Who does this help? (laughs) They always do this. Like, none of us is walking around with a microscope like, guys, I saw the virus on the way to work. Let's go out there and smoke this fool. All right, let's move on to a story involving Jeff Bezos, Amazon billionaire, and if James Bond were played by a vibrator. (laughs) A year ago, Bezos' marriage fell apart after someone hacked his phone and revealed that he was having an affair. And now, there's a shocking revelation about who the hacker might be. We're learning new details of an extraordinary claim that Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos' phone was hacked by Saudi Arabia. The Guardian reports an investigation ordered by Bezos blames the hacking on a personal message that apparently came from Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. According to the Financial Times, the hack's roots trace back to Bezos and bin Salman exchanging phone numbers in Los Angeles. Weeks later, says Britain's The Guardian paper, Bezos and the Crown Prince were engaged in a seemingly friendly WhatsApp exchange when bin Salman sent an unsolicited malware-infected file. It's unclear what information was then taken. Whoa. (laughs) They're saying the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia personally hacked Jeff Bezos' phone. If that's true, that would be very hands-on for the ruler of a country. 
You know, like normally people have someone else do that for them. Although I guess it must be hard to hire a hacker in a country where everyone is also a billionaire prince. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, as your prince, I command you to hack Jeff Bezos. Well, as your prince, I command you to get me some potato chips. <laughs> okay, fine, I'll do it myself. Seriously, I, I can't imagine any other world leader micromanaging that much. Because this, this would be like Trump going down to the border himself to vet immigrants. Just like, no, 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 Miguel, no. Yes, Lupe. No way, Jose. Get it, get it, <laughs> get it. So funny. And look, I'm not gonna lie. The fact that Jeff Bezos can get hacked means that there's no hope for any of us. I mean, he's the number one tech guy in the world. It'd be like finding out Mr. Peanut died from a peanut allergy. That's the one person it shouldn't happen to. And I don't know, Saudi Arabia, like you guys messing with the head of Amazon might be a really bad move. Yeah, cause Saudi Arabia might be powerful, but they just pissed off the head of Amazon. Good luck getting your deliveries now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Saudi guys are gonna be like, okay, there was supposed to be a public stoning today, uh, but the stones still haven't arrived. <laughs> so instead we're going to use donuts from the break room. Ah, ah, did you learn your lesson? Mm, 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 not yet, not yet. <laughs> All right, and finally, some news from the Democratic primary. Pete Buttigieg, former South Bend mayor and glass of skim milk who wished to be a real boy, <laughs> had a, a moment on the trail that was a bit of a Jeb Bush, please clap moment. Things are getting just a little awkward on the campaign trail for Mayor Pete Buttigieg. So can I look to you to spread that sense of hope to those that you know? Yes. Come on. <laughs> Okay, that is super embarrassing for two reasons. Firstly, you should never have to ask an audience to cheer for you, like for something you've said. Am I right, folks? <laughs> what? What are you doing? You guys are a bunch of sheep, am I right? Because like basically what Buttigieg is there, like you can't ask for the, that's like classic Uber driver. You give me five stars, yes? Five stars? And secondly, secondly, it's embarrassing because I've never noticed, but Pete Buttigieg has a pretty weird laugh. Just listen again. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Krusty the Clown. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like if Krusty was running for president, vote for me. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, Pete Buttigieg, if you wanna be president, you need to work on your laugh. Cause you don't realize this, but a bad laugh can totally ruin your image. I don't care who you are. This will be a day long remembered. It has seen the end of Kenobi. It will soon see the end of the rebellion. <laughs> I rest my case. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story. <laughs> Impeachment. It's democracy's control alt delete. We're just two days into the trial of Donald Jasmine Trump and things have already gotten off to a contentious start. So let's catch up on the latest developments in another installment of The Magical Wonderful Road to Impeachments. So today was the day that Democrats began to lay out their case against the president. But last night, fights were already breaking out about whether this trial should even be happening in the first place. 
Opening arguments begin early this afternoon, and we're expecting a very fierce debate over why the president should and shouldn't be removed from office. Republicans want this all over by the State of the Union address in two weeks. Democrats say not so fast. Why are we here? Are we here because of a phone call? We are here, sir, to follow the facts, apply the law, be guided by the Constitution, and present the truth to the American people. That is why we are here, Mr. Seculo. And if you don't know, now you know. That's right. That's right. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries just quoted Biggie <laughs> on the floor of Congress. The only thing, the only thing I wish is that he'd used the entire line. That would have been amazing. He was like, if you don't know, now you know, nigga. Because if that happened, black people would have been out celebrating in the streets. It would have been MLK Day Part Two. All of us out there like, you know very well who you are. But I gotta say, man, hip hop has come a long way. Think about it, in the 80s and 90s, it was considered gangster music, and now it's being quoted in an impeachment trial. Huh? That's how far hip hop has come. Think about that. That's insane. Hip hop just keeps going. I bet it's only a matter of time before like Mitch McConnell responds with a rap lyric of his own. He's like, Ma, my name is Mitch and I don't have a jaw. I love the Senate and saying, Ma. <laughs> now, now the reason things got so heated yesterday is because Democrats tried 10 different times to get new witnesses and evidence into this impeachment trial. And the Republicans shot them down each and every time. Right? There hasn't been that much rejection in DC since Stephen Miller went speed dating. <laughs> now, one of the main witnesses Democrats really hope will testify is former Trump advisor and grumpy Captain Crunch, John Bolton. <laughs> but when the president was asked about it this morning, he had a list of reasons why he doesn't want Bolton to testify. In regards to the proceedings going on in the Senate, are you absolutely against John Bolton testifying? The problem with John is that it's a national security problem. You know, you can't have somebody who's at national security. And uh, if you think about it, John, he knows some of my thoughts. He knows what I think about leaders. Uh, what happens if he reveals what I think about a certain leader and it's not very positive and that I have to deal on behalf of the country. It's going to be very hard. It's going to make the job very hard. Uh, he knows other things. And uh, I don't know if we left on the best of the terms. I would say probably not. You know, you know, one thing I enjoy about Trump is that he will give you every excuse all at the same time. <laughs> right? He'll start with the fake excuse, but then he'll just keep going until you learn the real reasons. Just like, sadly, we can't hear from Bolton because it's a national security threat. And also, he'll reveal what I think about other world leaders. And also, he hates my guts. And also, he'll implicate me in the crimes that I committed. <laughs> so many reasons. Because let's be real, let's be real. I don't think it's a big deal if Bolton reveals what Trump thinks of other world leaders, because Trump already tells everyone what he thinks of world leaders. He'll even do it while they're standing right next to him. He'd be with Macron like, I just had a very productive meeting with this little French bitch over here. <laughs> so Bolton may or may not appear at Trump's impeachment trial. But even if he does, even if he appears, there's a good chance that the senators won't hear what he's saying at all. Because based on yesterday, half of them are already checked out. 
At least seven senators were spotted Tuesday wearing Apple watches. That's a no-no. Rand Paul played a crossword puzzle, a big no-no. Shortly after 5.30 p.m., Senator James Risch, the Republican of Idaho, could be seen motionless, eyes closed, and head slumping against his right hand. Risch was the first lawmaker seen by Washington Post reporters to have clearly fallen asleep. It's a bit like a college lecture hall. Some of them are busily taking notes. Some of them look bored out of their minds. And if they're thirsty, we're told that only two beverages are allowed on the Senate floor, water and milk. Yeah. Some senators are playing with their Apple watches. Others are solving crosswords. And worst of all, a senator from Idaho fell asleep. Like asleep asleep. Because you know you've been sleeping for a long time when an artist has time to sketch your portrait. <laughs> That's sleep. But I'll be honest, I get why some of these senators are struggling. They're sitting there for long hours, up to 12 hours late into the night, and they're only allowed to drink milk or water to stay energized? That's a tough situation. I mean, it was a tough situation because luckily there's a new product out that could help them out. When you're stuck on the Senate floor for 12 hours at a time, you need a pick-me-up. But you're only allowed to drink milk. You have no options. Until now. Introducing Impeach Milk. It's the only milk fortified with caffeine, amphetamines, and just a little bit of cocaine. So you can get your impeach on and fulfill your constitutional duties to the max. Yeah! Ready to impeach! With Impeach Milk, you'll have the energy to render judgment all night long. So get some impeach milk and get jacked up on justice. Desi Lattic and Roy Jr., everybody. We'll be right back. My guest tonight is an Emmy Award-winning journalist and best-selling author whose new book is called Black Wave, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and the 40-year rivalry that unraveled culture, religion, and collective memory in the Middle East. Please welcome Kim Ratas. <laughs> welcome to The Daily Show. Thanks for having me. Straight off the plane from Beirut. Really? Yes. Wow, okay. So I landed last this is night. like the freshest take on the Middle East then. Yes. We couldn't fresh, have a fresher fresh take. out of the oven. <laughs> um, it really is an interesting time right now because more than ever, it feels like Saudi Arabia is in the news. More than ever, it feels like Iran is in the news. And the one question I would like to start this off with is a lot of the time, the conversation in and around the Middle East is seen through the prism of America. Absolutely. It's how America sees the Middle East and it's how Americans see the Middle East. But how does the Middle East see what's happening in the Middle East right now? You know, you have a section at the moment, war in the Middle East, it's personal. Yes. Well, it is very personal, right? If you live in Beirut, if you live in Baghdad, if you live in Cairo, it's very personal what's going on at the moment. It involves uh, uprisings, it involves protests, it involves the killing of Qasem Soleimani, of course, mm -hmm. the head of the Iranian Quds Force, part of the Iranian Revolutionary, Islamic Revolutionary Guards. Um, that strike was uh, ordered by President Trump. And I know that here in the US, the concern was, oh my God, President Trump is taking us to war. This strike is crazy. Right. But if you look at it from the Middle Eastern side, we kind of are already in constant upheaval and constant war. And for a lot of people in the region who are afraid of Iran's regional um, ambitions, 
and its proxy militias that right. act in countries like Iraq and Lebanon and Syria, uh, the assassination of Qasem Soleimani was a welcome thing and a lot of people uh, celebrated. So there's a debate, a political debate here about whether what Trump does is good or bad for the country and the yes. Democrats are very critical of him. In the Middle East, we look at it, is this good for us or not? It is interesting because in the region, one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is that no group, no country is homogenous because even within Iran, there were people who were mourning the death of Soleimani, and then there were those who were completely against what Iran was doing in retaliation. I mean, when the, when the, when the plane was shot down with the passengers, yeah. you know, that was, that was a big uprising against the Iranian government. This book, though, is really interesting because it really lays it out in, in if I may be so bold as to say, in a simple way. You know, when you talk about why Saudi Arabia and Iran began this proxy war and this, this cold war between each other, what do you think is, is the inciting incident? 1979, that is the turning point in the Middle East. That is the year when Iran had a revolution and became a theocracy. And I don't mind that you call it simple because this book is really not just for experts. It uh -huh. is for your audience, it is for people in the United States, it is for anyone who wants to understand more about the Middle East and wants to go beyond the headlines about tyrants and terrorists. Right. This is 40 years of history seven countries and 15 incredible people whose lives are upended by the politics and the geopolitics. People like you and me who've had difficult pasts, difficult childhoods. And when you tell their stories, you can really get to the heart of the geopolitics and you can explain the bigger picture in a much more accessible way. And the key of the book is to try to explain why the Saudi-Iran rivalry is so enduring mm -hmm. and why it is of huge consequence to the world's security and America's security. When you look at the relationship between Saudi Arabia and the US, especially under Trump, there's no denying that in many ways it feels like Saudi really has a hold on Donald Trump. You know, he, he loves to work with them slash and for maybe them. And his phone. Right, they may have his right. phone now. That's what people are wondering about Kushner yes. and the WhatsApps after what happened to Jeff Bezos. When you look at Saudi Arabia, especially under um, bin Salman, you have a ruler who is lauded on one end as being, you know, really reformer. reformer, the person who's changing the way things are in Saudi Arabia. Women can drive and we're trying to become more liberal and we're trying to just, you know, modernize the country. At the same time though, there's the killing of journalists and now it looks like there's the hacking of people. How is he seen in the region and maybe even in Saudi? Do, do you have any insight into that? You know, I'll say two things. One, he is a reformer when it comes to social and cultural norms in the country. In, yes. Inside Saudi Arabia, women can drive, but some of them are also in jail because they campaign for the driving. He wants the credit for allowing women to drive, not the activists. Oh, he, you know, his people also um, helped carry out the murder of a journalist, Jamal Khashoggi, who was a friend and whose story is one of the stories I tell uh, in Black Wave. Um, but he's a reformer only to some extent, even within the country. You know, a lot of the traditional values are still there. I mm -hmm. think the conservative values and the very narrow understanding of his religion and of Islam have been untouched. So you could say that his reforms are very far-reaching, but also smoke and mirrors. The second part of it is my theory is that Mohammed bin Salman and Saudi Arabia would actually like to be a little bit more like Iran. Whatever you think of Iran, they have a very successful regional strategy. Uh, they have proxy militias, they have very loyal allies, and they manage this very well. And they've been doing it for 40 years, and they are feared and respected. And that's something that Saudi Arabia has never quite managed, despite all the money that it throws at its allies. Right. It doesn't buy the same kind of loyalty. 
So I think Mohammed bin Salman wants to be a little more like the tough guy in the region, a little bit more like Iran, a little bit more like Qasem Soleimani. And I know that that's going to upset a lot of people in both countries. But I pull no punches. I really, I'm an equal opportunity critic. And I think both countries have done a lot of damage in the Middle East. It's, it, it really is a fascinating look at how the Middle East came to be in many ways. Uh, before we go, if you're looking at Iran right now, you're looking at what happened with Soleimani, you're looking at how Iranians are reacting to it, you know, uh, both the leader speaking out and, and, and those in, in parliament, for instance. Is there any indication of how Iran is going to move forward from what has happened? I wrote about 40 years of history here. It took me 40 years to figure out what had happened in 1979. So I wow. hope you'll invite me back on your show in 40 years from now. Wow. But what I can tell you um, is that I think there's something coming undone in the region. 40 years after 1979, people are protesting, not only in Iran, but also in Iraq and in my own country of Lebanon. People are protesting corruption. They're protesting uh, mismanagement of their countries, of their economies. They want a different future. They want what everybody wants. They want hope, they want dignity, they want justice. And I think that Iranians want that too. And I think that we are capable in the region of getting there without outside help. I think we can do it. It costs a lot of lives, but I think the younger generation is ready to let go of this very difficult past and forge a different uh, path forward. Well, here's to hoping you're right. Thank you so much for being Thank on the show. So Black Wave goes on sale January 28th and is available for pre-order right now. Kim Katas, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.